This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Fruit Loops, episode 76. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, just a reminder, we decided to abandon the season, quote unquote, format because it wasn't making any sense for us and it's easier for us to keep track of our episodes this way. We'll be taking quarterly breaks, um, you know, for our mental health and stuff. Um, Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we do not hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not. All serial killers are straight, cisgender, white dudes. No, ma'am. There are many. Yes, it's true. (laughs) There are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers of color and true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. (laughs) And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com. And we use Fruit Loops Pod for all of our social media. Join the discussion by using the hashtag Fruit Loops Pod discussion or by joining our Facebook group. All of the footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Yes, that's correct. If you want to support the show, (laughs) you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App or become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. We also have some merch for sale on our website, but if you can't monetarily, no problem, man. You can always give 
give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And be sure to share our show with your friends. Yeah. Who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Nathaniel or Nate White, a man who during a 16-month killing spree murdered five women and one girl. This subject was suggested to us by Survive and Thriving on Instagram. Well, thank you very much, Surviving Thriving on Instagram. Yeah. I'm pop air horns. All right. Uh, before we get into the shits, how you doing? I'm okay. Um, it's rough here out in these streets. Uh, you are not kidding. lying. You are not lying. <laughs> I'm status quo, I, I suppose. Uh, we wanted to get this episode out to you earlier, but um, I had a little bit of a breakdown. <laughs> mm, mm, I feel you. I'm fine. I just couldn't get my shit together, and I wasn't feeling good, and uh, some other shit happened. And But uh, I'm back. I'm feeling good. We're here. And I think as we start getting back into potting and doing our normal things, the better off I'll be. Same. And I am glad that you are doing okay. Um, you got to yeah. check check in with your strong friends. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. you know, they're putting on this brave face and yeah. you are one of those yeah. people. So I'm glad you're doing good. Uh, <laughs> so I am all right. I'm enduring during this quar. Uh, that's short for quarantine. That's how millennials speak. Out here, still waiting for my <laughs> stimulus check. Have you got yours? Yeah, I got mine. You didn't get yours yet? No. Uh, what? Eh, yeah, I don't. I don't know what the deal is. Um, maybe it's because the government's racist and and white people get them first. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I'm just out here in these streets trying not to get the Rona. So yeah, good, good. There, don't there get we, the Rona. There we go. Yeah. So now we're gonna <laughs> dive into some listener let hers oh hello angels i haven't hello. seen you in so long <laughs> you look so pretty we miss <laughs> them you. so we do uh, what do you got beth margo on apple podcast said beth and wendy are so real and i love them for this this true crime podcast is an absolute gem really they say what no one else has the balls to say and i love them for it keep up the great work ladies you're my heroes Aww. thank you so thank much you. margo, margo. You, you made my day seriously that's Can't a do great this without you. great review yeah yeah <laughs> and then a nickel 420 on apple podcast said i've been here since the first season and i'm part of the facebook discussion group these gals do amazing research and totally love their fan base we do it's true mm -hmm. they are the best hip-hop air horns you and are to the that, best hip-hop air horns to you nicole thank you so much yeah yeah. Um, Magic 23 <laughs> on Apple Podcast said, I love this podcast so much. Ladies are very informative and funny. I love hearing Santa Maria hip hop air horns. <laughs> you, Magic 23 and Santa Maria Jesucristo to you too. Uh, and I, I have to say, I love it when you say say Santa Maria too. <laughs> oh man! Sometimes there's nothing else to be said other than. Um, so now that we are back, I wanted to thank all of our patrons by name. So I'm just going to read your names, okay? Um, Angel Hints, uh, Anthony Puente, Antoinette Brigulio, uh, Connie Snow. Denisa Arias, uh, Kim, 
Megan Vello, Monica Ward, Murderific Pod, Valerie Calloway, uh, Vernilia Randall, and our patrons are L66, Aaliyah Nicole, Mercedes Rowland, T. Ducky, Wade Miner, and Hieronymus. Hieronymus Sloth, Erica Whaley, Paul Morris Townsend, our mate from uh, across the pond, uh, Chrissy, Jesse Allsbury, Mean Green Marlene, Regan Marie, Aaron Switzer, and Luminesher, a.k.a. Iva. And then on, on the Cash App, we've gotten um, donations from Monique Crockett, Yoki Burgos, and Percy, and Tara. So hip-hop air horns to all of you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, we can't do the show without any of you. So we really, really appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, so now we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get to the story when we come back. We got to try some products uh, by a company called The Butters Hygienics Company, who, in their words, is a, quote, 100% Black queer-owned company. So, you know, we want to support that for sure. Absolutely. And uh, we got to try the weightless leave-in conditioner, keep it juicy spray-on leave-in conditioner, and the keep it juicy hair mask. As you guys know, I'm a white girl. But you may not know that I actually use a lot of hair products that are intended for POCs. <laughs> so let's go back in time. <laughs> Going back in time. <laughs> Wayne's <Wayne's rope>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for most of my life, I thought I was born with crap hair. I just thought my hair was crap. It's fine mm. and thin. And I couldn't make it do what the other girls seemed to be able to make their hair do. Like when I was in high school, everybody had the fair faucet hair. Mm. My hair just sat there. Oh, <laughs> It has a slight wave, but if I don't do anything with it, it just looks terrible. So I would blow dry it. And sometimes I got perms. When it was permed, it was frizzy. Uh, it was just terrible. When, one time I got a perm, I looked like Rosanna, Rosanna, Dana. It was awful. <laughs> oh, don't know who that is. But I'll tell you, when I first met you, I did think you were mixed with black because your hair was wavy. Wavy, yeah. Mm-hmm. And only in the past few years have I discovered that I could make it curly, that it wasn't just wavy. It was curly. Yeah. And uh, this is when I started not washing it with shampoo as much and choosing shampoos and conditioners without drying alcohols, sulfate, silicone, or parabens, and uh, never blow drying my hair or using heat stylers. And the result was that I now have curly hair. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. hair is so much healthier and thicker, and it's really soft. And when my hairdresser remarked on it, I told her what I was doing, and she told me, and, and you guys might already know this, but I didn't, <laughs> curls love moisture. Mm-hmm. So that's how you get your hair to curl. So I was really excited to try the butters, and it did not disappoint. My favorite product is the weightless leave-in conditioner. I had been using a name brand one. Um, I've actually tried a bunch of them, but uh, the butters one is by far my favorite. Yeah. It smells great. It has just a slight hint of citrus and Mm -hmm. it makes my hair so curly. 
uh, but not frizzy or greasy at all. I also love the hair mask. When I used that, it gave my hair a really great texture. And another awesome thing about these items is how much product you actually get. They're really affordable because you get so much of it and they're handmade. Awesome. Don't you always laugh when you see on, on the instructions for these um, shampoos and conditioners made mostly for white people that they're like, just use a dime size. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> what? <laughs> on this thing? Okay. <laughs> but yeah, you do get a lot. So the butters don't just have hair products. They also have bath bombs, skin products, ointments, bombs, and candles. And you know what? They even have lube. <laughs> Ooh, oh my God, yeah. I love this company. I know. Um, yeah, so I use the Keep It Juicy spray on leave-in conditioner for my kids' hair and my own hair. And it's very rare that with three people of color in this house that we can all use the same product because we each have different curl patterns. Um, and it's just wonderful. My daughter's hair is like a 3A curl pattern and my son has like a 3C hair pattern and it has made their little juicy heads full of curls just pop and it smells great. So I love it. Yeah. And uh, I, I actually already ordered a bunch of other stuff <laughs> and I'm, I'm super excited to try them. I was really impressed. Including the lube? Uh, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> You're a classy woman. Um, yeah, no, it's great stuff. Getthebutters.com. All right, we're back. So who are we talking about today, Beth? Today we're talking about Nathaniel Nate White, a black serial killer active in the Hudson Valley region of New York during the early 1990s. White confessed to murdering five women and one girl while still on parole. So now we are going to dive into my favorite part of every story, the stats. <laughs> Okay. Hey, hey, smoke <laughs> weed every day. Uh, RIP to the late, great Nate Dog. But this Nate was definitely nowhere near the caliber of human being that Nate Dog was. First of all, Nathaniel White is a black American serial killer. He was born July 28th, 1960. He wasn't born in New York, but he was raised there. Um, so I'm not sure where he was born. Um, but his crimes took place in Hudson in the Hudson Valley region of New York. White confessed to the beating and stabbing to death of six women while out of prison while he was on parole. Some reports say he sexually assaulted at least some of the women. I don't know if he did all of them. Uh, his victims were, let's speak their names, rest in power, Queens. Juliana Frank was 29 and she was his only white victim. All the other victims were black women. Um, Christine Klebe was 14. Lorette Huggins Revere was 34. Angelina Hopkins, I uh, don't know her age. Brenda Whiteside, don't know her age. And Adrian Hunter was 27. He did have a partner uh, who is an integral part of the story. Uh, her name's Jill Garrison. We'll get to that later. His crimes took place from March 25th, 1991 to July 30th, 1992. He is still alive after being convicted of murder and sentenced to 150 years to life in prison. So now we're going to dive into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Splash, splash. <laughs> the setting is Hudson Valley in New York. We've been here before when we covered the serial killer Kendall Francois. 
in that episode, we talked a lot about the history of Poughkeepsie. So if you want to know more about Poughkeepsie, check out episode 40. Mm -hmm. The Hudson Valley comprises the area along the Hudson River running north to south down the eastern edge of New York State. I guess people call it upstate, right? Yeah. Anything outside of New York City is upstate. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Uh, It's named after Henry Hudson, an explorer looking um, for the Northwest Passage, a sea route from the Atlantic Ocean to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, He was way off, but he didn't know it at the time, which was around 1609. There were, of course, many Native Americans already living in the area at the time on either side of the river. Native Americans have lived in the Hudson Valley for over 10,000 years. The Lenape called the river Muhikanuk, or the river that runs both ways. There were six to 12,000 widely dispersed people, both Lenape and Algonquin, living in small bands in the lower estuary. The river connected them and was a major source of food. The tribes grew squash, beans, and corns, which were referred to as the Three Sisters, due to their reliability and spiritual significance to the people. They also grew tobacco for ceremonial purposes, and they fished the river and hunted the land. They had many furs, which the Europeans noticed and coveted. And did they not hear the one about, thou shall not covet thy neighbor? Jeez, these guys stink. (laughs) Once Hudson determined that the river was not the Northwest Passage, the Dutch established New Netherland and began exploring the area. The Dutch settled three major fur trading outposts in the colony along the river, south to north, New Amsterdam, Wiltwick, and Fort Orange. New Amsterdam later became known as New York City, Wiltwick became Kingston, and Fort Orange became Albany. Then, in 1664, the British invaded New Netherland. The area was surrendered to the British and renamed New York. In New, New York, York City! <laughs> Concrete from the weird dreams are made of this I'm done. The Hudson Valley Dutch declared their loyalty. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That's okay. Their loyalty to the British crown, as did the Wappinger Indians. But the Lenape and Wappinger people were being quickly pushed out of their lands by British and their Indian allies to the north, the uh, the nations of the Iroquois. Every time I read about white colonizers coming in and pushing out Black and brown people who were living there just fine. I get so heated Mad, inside. My yeah, I know. Who the fuck do these people think they are? Who? Who? Who is you? Yeah. So the Iroquois had long been enemies of the Lenape people and the Wappingers, to whom they had previously honored and paid tribute. But with the aid of British muskets and assistance, the Iroquois punished the Lenape and raided their towns, forcing them to near destruction. See? See what the white man does? He comes in and he makes you hate each other. Yeah. And destroy each other. Yeah. Yeah. European settlers also brought disease and intolerance with them. Most of the Wappingers either moved away from the settlers, died from diseases brought by the settlers, dropped their traditions to join frontier culture, or died in war and were sold into slavery. Good work, guys. Yeah. Colonizers. They suck. 
(laughs) (laughs) By the end of the Revolutionary War in 1783, very few Wappingers lived on their former lands. The period immediately after the Revolution also saw the remaining Lenapes moving westward and relinquishing claims to their lands in New York. Many moved north toward Canada, and the remaining few moved west into the Ohio Valley, where they were fighting for their very survival, as were all the other Native Americans during the era. Few people today identify themselves as Wappinger. Um, But if any of you listeners do, um, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Hit us up. Yeah, we've got we've got quite the indigenous peoples um, in the Fruit Loops pod squad. So yeah, we, do. we always love. To hear about you guys. Yeah. Join the group. Mm-hmm. Approximately 13,000 Americans and Canadians today identify themselves as Lenape or Delaware. Most live in Wisconsin, Oklahoma and Ontario. Less than 100 speak the original Lenape languages. Um, and that's another element of colonization is they um, took these, welcome to Culture Corner, this is off the cuff, but Native Americans and Indigenous peoples um, were like they would take their children and put them in these Indian schools and beat the kids for speaking their language. Yeah. So they, they, they were them of their language and their culture. Right. That's that's an element of colonization. That's the recipe yeah. for uh, how to colonize someone. So uh, Hudson Valley has a total area of 7,200 comprising uh, 10 counties in the upstate New York. Currently, the population is 1.1 million. Uh, white killed women in Middletown, uh, Goshen, New York, and in Poughkeepsie, New York. And in 1990, Middletown had a population of 24,000. As of 2000, 2010, 39% of that population was Hispanic, 36% white, and 21% was black. The city of Goshen in 1990 had a population of 11.5 thousand, and as of 2010, the population was 81% white, 6% black, 0.16% Native American, and 4.5% Asian. Wow, 0.16% Native American. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Considering the entire area began yeah. as 100% Native American. So yeah. So Poughkeepsie, New York, had a population of 28,000 in the 1990s. Currently, Poughkeepsie's population is 46% white, 37% black, and the rest Asian, indigenous, or other. I heard on one podcast that Middleton and Poughkeepsie had reputations for being rough areas. And when people say that, it's a code for there are black and brown people there. Mm. And in recent years, the area has become a destination for LGBTQ folks, which has contributed to the economy and restoration of historic sites. Yeah, I guess there's like wineries and cideries. Like, yeah, you want to fluff up your community, just invite some LGBTQ folks in and uh, they'll they'll fix it up for you. They they sure will. They will yeah. yeah give it a very nice facelift. Um. So in early life, um. Oh no, that's not how we do it. Okay. So now <laughs> we're gonna get into the killer's early life. <laughs> so Nathaniel White was born on July twenty eighth, nineteen sixty. He was one of five siblings. His parents were factory workers who moved the family to Poughkeepsie in the early nineteen seventies. We're not sure where they came from before that, but White later said that he had a good relationship with his parents. Nate was a good student, and he had no disciplinary issues as a child. He enjoyed playing basketball, but one source claimed that he was molested by 
babysitter and was never the same afterwards. But I only saw that in one place. After graduating from Poughkeepsie High School in 1979, um, White worked for a year before joining the Army. He was discharged in 1983, one source said less than honorably, and then he moved to Maryland. He was married to a woman named Wanda but the relationship failed after 18 months. And then Nate returned to New York where he met Jill Garrison and they became an item in 1986. According to Jill, at first Nate was kind and helped clean the apartment that they shared in the town of Wallkill outside of Middletown. He paid me a lot of attention, she said. He would bring her roses, make her (laughs) dinner, and iron the uniform she wore as a late shift nursing assistant at a local hospital. But Jill Garrison later admitted that Nate sometimes abused her physically, at times choking her, which is a good sign that somebody is willing to kill you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If your uh, significant other uh, ever chokes you, that's not a good sign. Nope. He also had trouble keeping a job and he often drank too much. He spent a lot of time watching action movies and the Robocop franchise was a favorite. Ugh, boy. (laughs) Nate had a reputation as a charmer, but Jill's brother, Christopher Garrison, said that he talked about women a lot and the sexual things he wanted to do to them. That he seemed obsessed by it. And according to one neighbor, Nate often boasted about his sexual exploits, but was frequently rejected by women. He'd get rejected from ladies all the time, he said. (laughs) <laughs> i don't know why it just <laughs> made me laugh <laughs> it is funny yeah <laughs> i mean that part of the story yeah just the way he said it he'd get rejected yeah. from the ladies all the time <laughs> all the time <laughs> jill garrison's parents did not like white though they called him a smart man who always seemed to get his way quote my husband and i were not fond of that man Mrs. Garrison said. George Garrison, Jill's father, said he was a strange duck. He always wanted things done his own way. Mm, Control much? Uh, In 1986, while living with Jill, Nate robbed a convenience store after Jill complained about their financial situation. White pleaded guilty to robbery and received a sentence of three to nine years. He had no previous criminal record and behaved well in prison, so he was released on parole when he first became eligible in 1989. He then went back to live with Jill and her two daughters from a previous relationship. Jill blamed herself for the robberies because she expressed that they needed more money. It's all my fault, guys. Yeah, so she welcomed it back in. Yeah. In 1990, White was arrested and charged with assault and resisting arrest, except the parole board was never notified and he didn't get put back in jail. And he was just had to pay a fine and then they let him go. Wow. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to get into the timeline. Hit it, Beth. On March 25th, 1991, White picked up single mother Juliana Frank. She was 29. Frank was a friend of Jill Garrison's, and she introduced Frank to White. Mm. He took her to an area in Middleton, New York, by some abandoned railroad tracks where they drank beer together. At some point, he attacked her. Her nude body was found the next day by a couple joggers along the abandoned railway tracks leading through Middletown. She had been beaten and stabbed multiple times, I think like 30 times. Wow. Her throat had been cut. Uh, Yeah, so uh, 
very aggressive. Yeah. Uh, her throat had been cut and she was cut open from the chest to her abdomen. She had been beaten so severely that police initially thought that there must have been more than one perpetrator. Her corpse was neatly posed into that of a restful sleep. And uh, she was pregnant with her third child when she was murdered. That's awful. Yeah. On uh, April 17th, 1991, White was arrested for kidnapping. Uh, he attempted to kidnap a 16-year-old girl at knife point, uh, but she managed to escape. And I, I guess the story is like he like took her to a place and uh, he was like, okay, you wait here while I go inside and make sure it's clear. And then she was like, Beast. <laughs> she ran away. Good uh, for her. So yeah, something like that. Uh, the the prosecutors agreed to drop the felony charges against him in return for his pleading guilty to a misdemeanor unlawful imprisonment charge. He was sentenced to nine months in prison and given an additional three months for violating parole. He was released on parole again on April twenty third, nineteen ninety two, which is about the same time of the L.A. riots. Wow. Mm-hmm. According to Jill Garrison, when he returned from jail, White's behavior had changed. He spent more time going out at night and drinking. Quote, he knew I didn't like the drinking so much, so he didn't do it when I was around, unquote. On the few occasions when he became drunk around her, he became violent, she said. He hit me, but not to the extent that you would see it. Oh, my lanta. Um, An order of protection against White was issued in May 1992, ordering him to stay at least 1,000 feet away from uh, Garrison's two daughters. The judge also ordered that the children be removed from their home to another parent's house. And here's where the story gets a little fuzzy. According to news reports, the charge of abuse was first reported to the state child abuse hotline in January while White was still in jail and social services department brought formal charges against him in May. However, according to Jill Garrison on the TV show Evil Lives Here, the girls were taken by CPS while they were at school in August, which is my worst nightmare, by the way. So someone is not telling the truth here, and I suspect it is Jill Garrison. In any case, for whatever reason, his parole officer was never notified. Had the police officer been notified, had he been done been notified, White would probably have been sent back to jail. Yeah, and um, I think Jill was completely lying on the the TV show. Um, yeah? Because, yeah, because, uh, you know, the news reports said that the kids were taken in May, and she said it didn't happen till August, and it was like the day that he was finally arrested and uh, kids are not usually in school in August in the 90s. Mm. They didn't have year-round school then. And uh, we didn't mm. go back to school until September back then. It was like after Labor Day. So Look at you. The OG of true crime does it again. <laughs> There's a couple of things there that, that don't jibe. And uh, it really disappointed me to, to see that, that she lied mm. about that. Yeah. Mm. But anyway, uh, Christine Marie Klebby, Jill's niece, and the daughter of Christopher Garrison, who we mentioned earlier, was a typical teenager who liked to go to the mall, see movies with her friends, and play bingo. She had just completed the eighth grade at Circleville Middle School, and according to her grandmother, Catherine Garrison, she had to go to summer school this year, and she wasn't crazy about it. Yeah, most summer school's not the greatest um at some point christine who often came over to jill's house to play with her daughters accused white of touching her inappropriately according to white they had been 
playing hide and seek. And it was a matter of Christine misinterpreting a little roughhousing. Uh, but her father believed her. Uh, shout out to that guy. And she was not allowed to go over to Jill's house anymore, although no formal charges were made. On June 29th, 1992, Christine went missing. Nathaniel White helped the family search for the girl, and he comforted family members a few days later at their 4th of July picnic by telling them not to worry. Christine would turn up and be fine. Mm, 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 mm. God damn it. He went to the cookout. You really hate to see it. But this isn't the first time we've seen a serial murderer do this kind of thing. Like yeah. go to the go to the cookout, people fixing plates, and he's just la-di-da. Um hanging out with everybody like no shame it's crazy um white had regular meetings with his parole officer he had met with his parole officer seven times since his parole in april and he met with the parole officer again on july 9th on july 10th 1992 a close friend of jill garrison's lorette d revere huggins 34 of middleton was found stabbed over 30 times and strangled in her home She was the mother of three children and worked at Blue Cross Blue Shield. Lorette's small home was filled with boxes and crates, which she had been packing uh, all of her possessions into. In August, she planned to relocate back to her native homeland in the Caribbean. And one of her sons was already over uh, in the Caribbean. So this um, man, she was almost out. Yeah, she was almost out. And... Um, I also read that Nate had actually helped her a little bit, like brought her boxes and stuff, helped her pack things. And uh, then he killed her. After Lorette's murder, Jill Garrison and Nathaniel White had discussions about it and wondered what would happen to her two children who had actually slept over at their house a few weeks earlier. On July 20th, 1992, Angela Hopkins, 23, and her cousin Brenda Whiteside, 20, went to the Blue Note Tavern in Poughkeepsie. Brenda was a nursing student, and Angela had a seven-month-old son. Angelina's sister, Cecilia, was also there. When Angelina and Brenda decided to leave with some men, Cecilia decided not to go along. According to Cecilia, the family was originally from Savannah, Georgia, and that people there were more trusting and friendly, and her sister and cousin were open, trusting, friendly people. They were last seen leaving the bar with some men, and neither of them were heard from again. The next day, Cecilia Hopkins and her mother, Anna Teresa Hopkins, filed a missing persons report. They gave the police nicknames and first names for the men, but the Poughkeepsie police said they needed more information. They were told to find out who they left with, and the police would then take over. Like, what the fuck? You guys are police officers. Investigate the damn missing persons. Obviously, they they didn't give a shit. Mm, Wonder why. It's like, uh, yeah, you get those names and come on back okay yeah starts with an r and ends with a yeah yeah on july 30th white was fired after three days on a job that consisted of packing paintbrush handles into boxes the owner of the company adrian lucas said quote he picked up the job quicker on the first day than anyone in 13 years unquote but as more was expected of him, he soon became sullen and he was fired. And that took three days. <laughs> <laughs> he, he works fast. Um, on, on the same day, White was fired from his job. A body was discovered in the burn debris, which uh, was the Hillcrest Manor restaurant in Goshen, New York. It was clear to investigators that the body was the victim of a murder and there were multiple stab wounds. Relatives later identified the victim as 27 
37-year-old Adrian Hunter of Middleton. She had two children, the youngest four months old, and she worked with troubled adolescents at the Blueberry Treatment Center. She was a friendly and outgoing woman who dreamed of becoming a model. More than 100 people attended her funeral. Wow. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. After the body of Adrian Hunter was found, the local police began to suspect, this is suspicious, Adrian's murder was related to the other disappearances and murders they asked for assistance from the New York State Police. There were four different police departments involved in the case. Little evidence was left at the crime scenes and not much in the way of eyewitnesses, except for Cecilia Hopkins. For two weeks, Cecilia Hopkins and Anna Teresa Hopkins visited the Blue Note Tavern. On their nightly visits to the Blue Note, mother and daughter talked to the people who had seen the men and pieced together more detailed descriptions. But they still had no full names. But on Sunday night, August 2nd, a friend called Cecilia Hopkins to say that one of the men was at the bar. The two women rushed to the club after calling a police officer, asking that he meet them there. White admitted to Cecilia and her mother that he had left with Angelina and Brenda on July 20th, but he told them that he'd dropped them off at a train station. He also told the women that he'd been scared to talk to the police. According to Cecilia, he seemed to be willing to give us whatever information he could. He didn't seem out of the ordinary. He gave his name as Nate White. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Saks.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. 24 hours ago, I found out the person I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, Annette's been muda. All this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Something is creeping in. Don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. The type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point... When you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing 
that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. So throughout the story, I was under the impression that the Blue Note Tavern was an establishment where black people would go to congregate and hang out. Right. Um, and that the police... Today's episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. It was a night like any other. We just finished a live show of the podcast at Madison Square Garden. It was nice to see Megan and Harry. You know, so nice of them to come. And then we told the pilot, hey, gas up the PJ. We out of here. Wait, gas up the PJ? Megan and Harry? Shh, shh, shh. <laughs> Just go with it, okay? Okay, okay. So, Wendy, we gassed up the PJ, and then what? Well, <laughs> while we were on the PJ, that's private jet for regular folks. I was wondering. We, we were up in the clouds, scoring some quality time with Best Fiends. It was incredible. And the good news is, I'm on level 393. Right on. <laughs> yes, it sounds incredible, but if mm -hmm. your head's in the clouds like Wendy, in an imaginary <laughs> private jet with Megan and Harry, or your feet are firmly planted on the ground at work or in line at the grocery store. One thing is true. Best Fiends is just plain fun. Mm, it is true. Now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. There are dozens of unique fiends to collect, so you can customize your team of fiends to defeat the menacing slugs. I'm sorry, I was just looking at this funny text from Harry. Anyway, power up your favorite fiends to new levels for even more powerful skills and watch them transform as they get stronger. With offline play, Wendy's favorite, you'll mm -hmm. never be stranded without fun, even if you lose your internet connection. Download your favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. I was under the impression that they weren't, um, they wouldn't have been welcome investigating in there anyway. You know what I mean? Ask, oh, okay. Poking around asking questions. Um, but that was just my impression. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Cecilia Hopkins gave that information in White's license plate number to the police. And after Poughkeepsie police ran a check and learned of White's criminal record, they had a suspect. The license number was for a stolen vehicle, and police learned that White had previously been convicted of robbery and arrested in an abduction. Got him. Yep. By the next morning, August 3rd, the state police had been told about White and his criminal history. A few hours later, White was picked up for questioning based on this stolen vehicle. He confessed to the killings pretty quickly afterwards. Within 48 hours of the Hopkins family's encounter with White, he was telling the police where to find the bodies of the two women. They were hidden near an abandoned farmhouse in Goshen, New York. Hallelujah! Um, sorry, I was watching the Clark sisters and I got all this gospel in my head these days. Anyway, he then confessed to killing five women and a girl in a spree. He said began March 1991 after he saw the futuristic horror movie RoboCop 2. And that's giving it too much credit. He said that when he drank, he heard voices that told him to pick up women and attack them. He said once he got so much alcohol in me, I just snapped. I couldn't control it. He claimed that the, he copied a stabbing scene from RoboCop movie. Then when he slit Juliana Frank's throat and chest, quote, 
I would see something violent happen and it seems to just sink in. Juliana was his only white victim. White then led police to the bodies of Angelina Hopkins, 23, and Brenda Whiteside, 20, both beaten to death and buried in a field in Goshen. The body of Adrian Hunter, 27, had been found days earlier in the same field. He also led them to the body of Christine Klebe, which was buried a few miles away. His interrogation lasted 18 hours. On August 6th, 1992, uh, White gave an unusual interview from the Orange County Jail. He met with reporters at WNBC-TV in New York City and the Times-Herald record of Middletown after they asked to talk to him. During the interview, White claimed that voices in his head told him to kill. He said that the voices told him that he should, quote, take a drive. Then he would go out and befriend a woman at a bar. Later, he said, the voices would tell him, quote, she deserves to die. You should get her and beat her up. So I would just do it, he said. I couldn't help myself. That's why I decided to tell everything. I don't want to do it anymore. Mm, interesting. Um, well, he did drink a lot. Um, there is this really great show on Netflix right now uh -huh. called... Um, the Innocence Files about the Innocence Project. And there's oh, okay. a dude, a, a black dude on there who confesses to uh, uh, raping, sodomizing and killing two, three year old black girls. Oh, and God. he talks about the voices that he hears in his head. And he was, said when he would drink and smoke crack that these voices would come in his head and tell him things to do. And I I um, don't doubt I, I, I guess I, I don't doubt that he might have heard voices in his head when he was really under the influence um, could be yeah. not justifying it but i i it seems like he's making it up but i i i i don't really know and i i wouldn't be surprised if he really did hear voices uh anyway side note um <laughs> mr white said he killed for the first time after seeing the movie robocop a violent futuristic thriller about a police officer who was half man and half machine i did exactly what i saw in the movie he said and by the way robocop came out in 1987 and has an 89 percent on rotten tomatoes if you ask me it does not deserve it um anyway police said that white seemed to really enjoy the killings when he was confessing Ugh, yikes yeah White was charged with six counts of second-degree murder, to which he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. The following is a direct quote from Nathaniel White on his reasoning behind his first murder. The first girl I killed was from a Robocop movie. I seen him cut somebody's throat, then take the knife and slit down the chest to the stomach and left the body in a certain position. With the first person I killed, I did exactly what I saw in the movie. Now we're going to dive into the trial. So on August 7th, 1992, White was arraigned by a grand jury for the murder of Christine, Christine Klebe. On September 9th, the other five murders were added to the indictment. White was charged with six counts of second degree murder and pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Let's see how this goes. The families made victim impact statements. The jury deliberated for nine hours, and White was convicted on all counts on April 14, 1993, and sentenced to 150 years to life. White claimed that he was the victim as a poor black man. He began serving his sentence at the Great Meadow Correctional Facility on May 27th, 1993. Yeah, I guess the victim impact statements were um, quite compelling. And one of the uh, surviving family members said something to him along the lines of, 
I hope that what you did to my sister gets done to you. Oh, wow. uh, Drop a bomb. Drop the mic. Mic drop. Um, So so where are they now? Well, the 59-year-old White is currently held at Attica Correctional Facility. White's case was cited by the New York Governor George Pataki in defense of his push to reinstate the death penalty. We also should remember that six families and children were left in the wake of his crimes. And I couldn't find anything out about where the family members of the children were now. But if you're listening and you know, um, we'd love to find out. Uh, you know where to find us. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to get into what made him or him snap and uh, our takeaways from the story. So my thoughts were that control was this individual's motivation. Um, he was abusive and manipulative to his partner, even even after his arrest. And I don't know if all the victims were raped, but some of them were. And rape is about power, not just sex. Perhaps he got out of prison. He was sick of not being in control um, after his experience and he just lost it. Um, Prison might have done a number on him. Uh, Dudes that come out of the joint are never the same afterwards. Also, I'm quite troubled by Jill. She reminds me of um, Wendy was it Wendy um, Gudo? Gudo's, yeah, yeah, the baseline killer's wife, and there were red flags everywhere, yeah. and she was yeah. denial about, in denial about White inappropriately touching her daughters and Christine, and even when he was in prison after he had gotten locked up, um, she, he he was she was like, "Did you kill those women?" And he was like, "No, I didn't do it." Um, also, why wouldn't the cops do their jam jobs? Oh, yeah, because they're messy ass hoes and most of the victims were black females. (laughs) Lastly, I wondered if this guy's civil rights might have been violated when the police arranged for the TV interview, which I couldn't find any recording of, by the way, um, without telling his defense attorney. But uh, then again, I don't know. Yeah, I I wondered about that, too. Um, I think he must have not had an attorney yet or um, didn't listen to his attorney or something. I, I don't know. I don't mm. know, but I mm. couldn't find it either. Um, I did see a few snippets of it in some of the shows that I watched, and I'll link the shows. There's There was three of them that I watched about him. Uh, they were mm. all focusing on different things. So okay. Okay. anyway, um, I agree with you 100%. I have heard and uh, read other people speculating uh, that he started murdering after he came out of prison because something uh, probably happened to him in there. Um, Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title. In that book and in this podcast, I go all the way back to 1939, when Lee Harvey Oswald was born into a troubled and dysfunctional family. I'll follow his transient and often violent teenage years and young adulthood, painting a fuller picture of the man who would later become Kennedy's killer. I also take a look at events unfolding in that era, like Cuba and Vietnam, and I'll unpack the conspiracy theories, too, not one of which has ever been conclusively proven. Subscribe to Countdown to Dallas at evergreenpodcasts.com or your favorite listening app, October 31st. 3 a.m., the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, 
Night Marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian Devil Worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. There's nothing in his childhood that suggests that he would become a serial killer. From what I read, he was a good kid. Um, There was the suggestion that he was molested by a babysitter. That's the only thing uh, unusual in his childhood. Uh, But I only saw that in one place. That was one of the TV shows. And I didn't read it in any of the articles. So I don't know. Um, Mm -hmm. And Jill also bothers me because, uh, as I said earlier, I'm pretty sure she straight up lied about when her kids were taken away. Um, She does not seem like the brightest bulb. and. People really can't help what kind of intelligence they possess. Uh, But lying is a choice. (laughs) That's a funny way to put it. Yeah. You're born with a certain amount of intelligence. You can't help it if you're fucking stupid, you know? (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) The smart lady with all these degrees. <laughs> but anyway, lying's a choice. Um, she probably did have suspicions about him. Maybe not of actual murder, but she she knew he wasn't on the up and up. Mm-hmm. And uh then she tried to cover her ass, claiming ignorance of everything. Um, but but her family knows. I mean, if her kids were taken away and sent to live with their father and uh what when they were taken away, they must know she's lying. And uh, it's telling to me that her brother refuses to speak to her to this day. And the other victims that that she introduced White to. I mean, I wonder how they feel about her. Yeah, their family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, her brother is the, the father of, the, of Christine Klebe, who uh, oh. White killed. And okay. he, he will not speak to Jill. So mm-hmm. I also I, I don't believe that White heard voices telling him to kill. Um he might have uh you're you're kind of uh swaying me in in a a direction (laughs) that that Uh maybe he did (laughs) maybe he (laughs) did hear voices i don't know but um i think maybe the voices he claims were just his Mm -hmm. urges and you know Mm -hmm. i don't know i talk to myself in my head all the time i don't hear voices but i talk to myself in my head and maybe Mm. that's what what he was talking about when he says mm-hmm. voices maybe they okay. were not actual voices i don't know um mm. but he he wants to blame the voices for his killing he also wants to blame violent movies for his actions which i also don't believe uh lots of people watch violent movies uh like huge horror fans and stuff and they don't they don't want to kill anybody um mm-hmm. he reenacted a scene from robocop 2 but uh, I don't think that's because the movie made him do it. He already had the urges and he, he saw the movie and he's like, ooh, I'm going to try that. Research has <laughs> proven time and time again that violent shows do not cause people to become violent. But if the violence is already there, they might get, you know, some ideas from the sure. movie, like trying something out. So that's my thoughts. 
Sure. And I, I was wondering if this was the time when Congress was like yep. interrogating hip hop music, rap music, video yeah. games, um, it saying was. that it was making kids violent. So yeah, it was like, around that time. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he was hoping to hang his hat on that. On that one. Yeah. So now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) I miss doing that. (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. So domestic violence is something that affects men, women, and children. And in these times during the pandemic, I've been worried about a lot of things. But there are people and kids who are unfortunately quarantined with their abusers right now. And I'm really worried about what that means for those people. By the way, in Phoenix alone, um, in January, there were, seventeen, I think, 1,700 domestic violence um, complaints. But in March, there were like 2,500. Holy so shit. the numbers are are seriously spiking. Um, domestic violence kills so many women and children in America. Um, domestic violence is a problem all over the world, but America is the only place that gives abusers easy access to guns. Uh, black women are twice as likely as white women to be fatally shot by an intimate partner. Every 24 minutes, men and women um, and children are victims of rape, physical violence, or stalking. So I wanted to just shout out a couple resources. Um, the domestic violence hotline is uh, 1-800-799-7233 or hotline.org. Um, uh, or you can text LOVEIS to 22522 for support. Um, they recommend during COVID-19 to create a safety plan with ways to stay safe when in a relationship, planning to leave, or after you leave. Uh, I, I something really cool in Chicago, you can get access to a special code if you are in an unsafe situation so that you can get a free Uber or Lyft to get out of there. Oh, wow. Very cool. Um, So hopefully other cities will follow suit. Um, Practice self-care and reach out for help. Um, Whether you are in the situation yourself or you know somebody who's in the situation because we just got to take care of each other. There are also some resources specifically for POCs that I'll link up in the show notes. Cool. And that's it. All right. Okay. So now we're going to dive into the shout out portion of our show. We shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any true crime goodies. So um, I wanted to shout out Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu with Kerry Washington, Reese Witherspoon, and that guy Pacey from Dawson's Creek. It is based off of a book of the same name and is a story about motherhood from a black perspective, motherhood from an immigrant perspective, and motherhood from a white privileged perspective. And ultimately the challenges that mother from any motherhood from any vantage point um, comes with. The show doesn't shy away from race and class discussions, and it's just a beautiful show um, to take your mind off of things and entertain you. Cool. I saw the trailer for that and I I was wondering uh, how good it was. So it is so good. So good. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Cool. I'll watch it. So uh, my shout out is Ebony Thompson in our Facebook group recommended the podcast Strictly Stalking to us. It's mm-hmm. just people telling stories about their stalkers and um, it's really good and I'm hooked. So Ooh. that's my shout out today. Strictly Stalking. Color me subscribed. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's oh, how I was like, oh, what? Okay, <laughs> subscribe. That's subscribe. <laughs> and it's just as good as I thought it was going to be. So <laughs> awesome. Thank you. So where can the people find us, Beth? Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. We also have merch on our website now at fruitloopspod.com forward slash merch. That's right. Everything Beth said is completely true and accurate. We are not lying. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there. Redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. detective came and knocked on the door and I said is it Renee and he just gave me that solemn look it was the worst day ever the proof podcast is back with a new case and a new season 23 years ago 18 year old Renee Ramos went missing her body was later found in an empty Home Depot building on the edge of town I don't think that they arrested the right people it's about time somebody's trying to do something she had a black eye about two weeks before she was murdered They are involved. They definitely had her body and her backpack. You know people are going to judge you, right? Of course. They're judging me now. They've been judging me damn near my whole life. You can listen now to season two of Proof, wherever you get your podcasts. And follow along with us as we reinvestigate the murder at the warehouse. I have to ask, did you kill Renee? On the morning of August 1st, 1966, 
Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.